You're with SAFM 104 to 107. And as you know, on a Sunday morning at this time on the JSB, we introduce our guest presenter. We talk to them about their music. We talk to their guests as well and the work that they are currently doing. And that is the first choice song of our guest, Brenda Fassi's Black President. Ma brrr. And our guest is none other than Crispian Olver, who is chair of a presidential climate commission. So, who is Crispian Olver, apart from being chair of the Presidential Climate Commission? Well, he is a medical doctor. He was a leader and activist during the anti-apartheid struggles of the 90s and the 80s. He has uh, written a series of books on uh, party politics in both Nelson Mandela Bay and Cape Town, and they are fascinating books. You can we'll talk about those in a short while. And most importantly, he's going to talk to us right now about climate. Climate change, what does it mean? There are so many terms that we don't understand and we're hoping that this is the man who's going to be able to explain what it means as we race to zero. Dr. Crispian Olver, may I call you Chippy? <laughs> yes, of course, Michelle. How are you doing? It's lovely to see you on the Sunday morning. Oh, I was just saying that when uh, we do these as Zoom calls, I always just look at my pale face yeah. and my unbrushed hair and I'm like, oh, jeez. Oh, it, it's and... so stressful. <laughs> it's terrible. Now, listen, you're going to get me into terrible trouble by saying I'm the chair of the Presidential Climate Commission. The, the chair is actually Cyril Ramaphosa. So you know, uh, this is this and, is what uh, this is what I have the, here. Hmm. Okay. And the deputy chair is Mr. Mohammed Vali Musa. I am the head of the secretariat, so they call me executive director. I know it sounds a bit exalted. Uh, okay, so but, uh, please don't call me the chair. I'm gonna, uh, my, on my Monday huge, morning get fired. My huge apologies. Please tell the president. I think he'll be distracted on Monday morning, though. I think uh, this may not yeah, be the he most. Will be. He will but be. my huge apologies. This is, in fact, what I got from my producers. So I do apologize profusely. So, Chippy, Brenda Fussy's yes. black president. We always like to know oh, why wow. people choose the songs that they choose. So, I mean, first of all, Brenda is the greatest singer that this country has ever produced. Yeah. I mean, I've the, an artist that can capture the spirit and the just the drive and enthusiasm that, you know, marked her era. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, it, you know, the, this song just talks about that euphoria of 94. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the intensity of the struggle, the pathos of the struggle, and then this just outpouring of celebration as yeah. we arrive at our democracy. And, you know, it's so easy with all the current difficulties we've had and the riots and the COVID impact and the e negative economic growth and high unemployment and poverty to forget about the enormous victory you know we mm. that, that, that we seized out of the jaws of defeat um and the incredible hope and national pride and unity of that moment you know um chippy it's interesting you you talk about that enormous victory and then what that leads me to think about are small victories and how yeah. there are constant small victories a little bit earlier we were talking about the ska and 
yeah. that kind of scientific diplomacy and what that really means as a victory. I can talk about some extraordinary victories in the art world and the creative world. I mean, a little mm. earlier we were talking about, um, you know, I mean, two South African authors on the Na international Man Booker uh, Prize, a finalist list, yeah. first the long finalist list, but even the short finalist list. And I don't want to sound like Pollyanna-ish, but, but there are those moments which seem to get subsumed in the mud of uh, what's being thrown around <laughs> the country. Yeah. Do you feel like that sometimes we need to maybe just give ourselves pause and respite to, to think about those things as well? Yeah, give ourselves just a little bit of a break because, you know, and you know, it's partly because of the way our news systems are set up. Um, so, you know, the, the news hypes the negative. Um, mm. And we do, we do if, if you're not careful about what you listen to and watch and who you talk to, you can just get exposed to an un, unending stream of negativity that is quite frankly demobilizing and demoralizing. Yeah. And you get to the point of thinking we just can't do it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I, I believe in South Africans innate ability to, to rise it. above the moment yeah. to do it to do it yeah yeah uh uh and you know we're the, do not forget what the struggle against apartheid looked like i mean in, in the 80s when i became involved as an activist it was a very dark period the apartheid mm. regime was overwhelmingly powerful Everyone was on the run. Uh, all the organizations had been banned. It people didn't think we would see democracy in our lifetimes. Yeah, um, and yet we yeah. did it. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's. I, I do have to say, you have then gone on to note some of the uh, challenges of uh, the country that we live in yeah. with your scathing, if one wants to call them that, books that you wrote <laughs> about party politics yeah. in Nelson Mandela Bay and also in the Western Cape. Tell us a little bit about that process for you. Um, okay, well, I mean, you know, so, so that followed after years of working in government um, uh, at, you know, a fairly senior level. I, I, I ran the Department of Environment and Tourism um, we did great things. Uh, and having left government, I mean, I've, first of all, I've always had an interest in local government. I think it's where the action is. I think it's where the rubber hits the road. And it has a very immediate effect on people's daily lives, yeah. the services they get, electricity. So, you know, a big up to those that are running the local government elections tomorrow. Yeah. I think it's a very important point and everyone needs to go out and vote. Yeah. But I was interested in digging underneath the surface of the politics. Mm. And particularly in first of all in Nelson Mandela Bay which was an ANC run municipality you know mm. I've uh, always been interested you know th there was this big national state capture process and Jacob Zuma and all of mm. that but what we weren't focusing on is the smaller examples of yeah. capture at yeah. another level uh, that were happening at a city level and in 
uh, I have to say, I'm afraid hundreds of municip municipalities around this country. Yeah. So the story of PE is in a microcosm what is happening all over this country. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to understand how a party of such enormous depth and integrity. I mean, you know, the ANC in the Eastern Cape, it's the bedrock organization. It's, yeah. you know, spoke to people's daily lives. Um, how did it become so corrupted and so eaten out? Yeah. Basically by a crim criminal syndicate that latched onto the ANC and latched onto the municipality and captured it. I mean, it, yeah. it was a local form of state capture. Um, and then my, my Cape Town book was a little bit along the same trajectory. So trying to understand how um, uh, a very different municipality run by the DA um, also served certain economic interests. And mm. I, you know, I'd quite deliberately tried to dig into, so what were the economic interests driving Cape Town? And how did they play into that factional split that we all followed where Patricia DeLille basically packed up shop and left the DA? Um, so those were my two inquiries there. Um, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, Chippy, because when you talk about um, local government and local government elections, what you are talking about is how we live. And that's where I want yeah. to go, because how we live is so much about the work that you do with the Presidential Climate Commission, is about if, if anything is going to impact, it's going to be around climate and the future of our coastlines, the future of our cities. And you can see that in smaller cities with, with waste levels just growing and growing, smaller towns. Uh, we're going to go to a break, but when we come back from the break, I want to understand what it is that you do with the, the PCC and how it impacts you and me and any one of our listeners. Okay. Michelle Constant on SAFM. Our guest today is Dr. Crispian Olver, or Chippy, as I prefer to call him. And we're talking about now, really, about climate, climate change. Today is uh, the first day of COP26. But what does this mean for us as South Africans? What does it mean for us uh, as citizens in a country, but also citizens in a town? For example, what could it mean for you if you live on a coastal or in a coastal city? Could we see those uh, the, 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 the height of water just increasing? And so we go to those kinds of questions. Chippy, the work that you do with the PCC, the Presidential Climate Commission, is yeah. it addressing the yeah. individual or is it a much broader scope um, process if one wants to look at it as such? Well, what the president has asked us to do is to plan the detailed pathways for how to get to net zero. Um, in other words, uh, and and we, we talk about net zero as being around 2050. We need to, at the you know, within the next 30 years, cut carbon emissions almost entirely out of our, of our economy. And that is going to involve action by every single one of us. Mm. It's it's 
Uh, obviously, there's some big corporates. You know, we've got big polluting companies like ESCOM and Sasol. They're going to have to cut. But it's going to come down to a set of individual actions as well. The kind of food that we eat, uh, the way we get around, the cars that we drive, the energy that we use. So, uh, you know, this is, we talk about climate as being the greatest societal challenge that we will ever face. Yeah. Um, because, because the changes that are required are systemic and they're monumental. They are going to profoundly change every aspect of our lives. Um, the danger is that in making those changes, the people that are least able to adapt, so particularly poor people, people living in informal settlements, mm -hmm. rural women trying to eke out a, a living from yeah. agriculture, these are the people that are going to get worst affected by, by, by the change. Yeah. Um, so we need to think particularly about how to bring them along in the process. So, wow, Chippy, you've raised about 50 different things. If I had to tease that last sentence apart, <laughs> but that, that, that first of all, what I think is quite important is for, for all of us to understand when we talk about net zero, zero emissions, yeah. carbon neutral, carbon offsetting, not everyone yeah. understands what they mean. I mean, they, they're phrases that are very yeah. familiar within the environmental space, but they may not be clear to those of us who aren't in that space. So what do we mean when we say net zero? Or what do we mean when we say carbon offsetting and carbon neutral? Yeah, so look, there, there's a whole lot of gases that we produce. I mean, when you burn something like coal, mm. you're basically taking coal as carbon, and when you burn it, you combine it with oxygen and it produces CO2. Mm. And CO2 is is the most prominent greenhouse gas. Basically, it gets emitted into the atmosphere. There are other gases as well, methane, nitrous oxide, mm. um, uh, a whole lot of uh, the industrial gases that we produce. Um, all of those go into the atmosphere. And as they accumulate there, they trap heat and produce a phenomenon called global warming. And we've already warmed as a planet about one degree, just over one degree above where we were when we started the Industrial Revolution. Sure. Um, if we do not take action to cut our emissions, we're going to warm by two, three, even four degrees. And the kinds of impacts that that's going to have is going to be absolutely catastrophic. I mean, we're, we're already seeing quite pronounced effects because of the one degree warming. Mm. So South Africa, for instance, is already getting more frequent droughts. Um, you all remember the day zero crisis in Cape mm. Town. That's because the westerly winds are being pushed down towards the poles. Um, so, and those westerly winds are what bring the cold fronts into Cape Town every year. So those are moving southward. Um, mm. And that means that the, the, you know, the traditional wet winters that the Cape gets are going to slowly disappear over time. Yeah. Um, you're already seeing cyclones coming further south. So, you know, we had Cyclone Edai and Cyclone uh, Eloise. Mm. Um, uh, affecting Mozambique and then coming into South Africa and affecting that. Our apples and fruit trees are flowering earlier than they used to. Yeah. Um, 
their extreme uh, he, you know heat waves um, uh, and other other extreme weather events uh, and all of this is having a very severe impact on our agriculture it's going to affect our food security as a country it's going to limit rainfall and affect our water resources mm. so it it's 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 of profound significance and you mentioned uh, sea level rise um you know the sea level rise is going to uh, accelerate as we go forward with the century a couple of countries are going to disappear i mean uh, maldives know, uh, i mean the, the the former president of yeah. the maldives is begging the world to take note yeah they just they're just going to sink um so for some countries it's absolute life and death mm. um uh you know for people living even you know uh, people living in cities often think they're insulated from these things uh i mean I, i you and i live in johannesburg johannesburg is going to face its own day zero i mean mm. it's already a, a very dry city we pump all of our water up from the lesotho highlands but the impact on that kind of rainfall is going to severely limit what we're able to channel to up up to gauteng yeah so th- there are huge impacts coming and we have to take action to limit global warming so um the the bad news okay sorry no, no give us the Far bad away. give us the bad news first i mean like if we're going to get a bad news like to, let's just have it throw it at us <laughs> so so we have already consumed if if you think of uh, the amount of co2 you can emit into the atmosphere as like your carbon budget so yes. how much can we emit into the atmosphere before we blow it completely and we and we annihilate mankind we've already emitted 80% of our carbon budget there there, there is only 20% of that budget left and the the budget has been eaten up i mean the, this is the uh the the historical liability of northern hemisphere countries yeah it's it's the us canada europe have basically largely consumed that budget i mean mm. 20% of that budget has been consumed by the us already um and they still the highest emitter the highest per capita emitter in the world um so the big battle now is how do we divide up that remaining 20% of the budget and developing countries who've who've contributed the least to the problem mm. and emitted the least amount of emissions are saying look we still need a chance to develop and grow so we should get the lion's share of that remaining budget that you know they're that's going to be the debate at cop 26 i mean at cop yeah. 26 yeah, yeah. So, Completely. so so chippy you know okay as i said there's lots of things that you've mentioned here i want to go back to 2050 in a moment but you talk about fossil fuels now this becomes a challenge for any country that uh, grows its own economy based on fossil fuels. So I'm thinking of Nigeria, I'm yeah. thinking of Angola. Uh, there are many countries, Russia, for them to say okay, we're going to give up on fossil fuels. Must how do they how do they sort of square the block or whatever you call it? Yeah. Well, uh I mean the the one piece of good news is that renewable energy is now at the point where it's cheaper than fossil fuel energy. Okay. Yeah. So, 
you know, so South Africa's got this, you know, basically most of our electricity comes from digging coal out of the ground and burning it in these big coal-fired power mm. stations on the high felt. Um, uh, uh, so we're very emissions intensive as a country. Um, it's now cheaper for us to put renewable energy, solar and wind, basically, uh, together with battery storage onto the grid. And we can do that at a massive scale because we've got some of the best renewable resources in the mm. world. Um, uh, and there's simply no ways that we can roll it out fast enough. Um, and, you know, even our Minister for Minerals and uh, Mineral Resources and Energy, you know, he's just made the, a big announcement about round five of the Renewable Energy Procurement Plan. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know he's a big coal advocate, but he's also rolling out renewables and we should be celebrating uh, him when he does the right thing. It's just Hello. at far too small a scale. <laughs> you okay. know, we need about three gigawatts of renewable energy each year. Please, can we have it quickly? It's 9.30, you are with SAFM. Dr. Crispian Olver is our guest today. When we come back, we're going to talk about 2050, but we're going into your second choice song, Chippy. And I want Josun Dur. Is this the new Africa you want to see? Well, you know, next year, yeah. uh, the COP is being held in Egypt. It's going to be an, e it's going to be an African COP. Uh, so I'm not going to Glasgow. I hate I hate the British weather at this time of the year. Uh, I certainly am going to go to the African COP, COP, COP 27. So the Coptics uh, will be very happy. We'll, yeah. So Yosundo is you know calling on African unity here. This is uh, this song is about the the African COP that's coming up next. You year. didn't even get my joke, did you? I said the Coptics. Oh, sorry. What? The Christian Coptics. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, it's yes, really like, I know, it's cheesy. It's cheesy. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's Sunday morning. It's, it's Sunday morning. Here's your song. <laughs> Michelle Constant on SAFM. It's 20 to 10. And as uh, I always say around about this time, don't forget, uh, lovely KG is on after 10 o'clock with Seasons. She'll be through with you till 1 o'clock today playing you fine Sunday music. Dr. Chippy Olver is our guest presenter today. We've got his two guests, great guests, I must add. But Chippy, before we go uh, into your guests, you mentioned the plan to 2050. And I was thinking about that yesterday. I was thinking about the idea of long-term versus short-term with when it comes to climate change. Short-term approaches are often very much profit-based. Long-term approaches are more purpose-based. The challenge, though, conversely, is that a long-term approach is easy for us to do because we won't really be around in 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. And I wonder how one um, deals with that because it's, it's, it almost feels like polarized or a binary or whatever you want to say when you think about those two things and climate change. How are you dealing with that at the yeah. Commission? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. I mean, the... Uh, 2050, I have to say, I mean, you know, for, uh, everyone thinks about 2050 and they think it's so far out. It's 29 years away. Yeah. It is, it is, it's the span of one generation. Um, 
you and I will probably still be around unless we uh, do something terrible to ourselves. But, you know, so it's an enormously short amount of time within which we have to adapt our economies and societies in quite mm. fundamental ways. Um, we do need to think about it systemically. So uh, you, you've, you've got to, I guess, hold in, in your mind where you're going and the long-term systemic change, but you also want to catalyze immediate short-term action. Mm, so absolutely. there's stuff we've got to do now. We've got yeah. to accelerate the phase out of coal-fired power stations now. We've got to increase the procurement of renewable energy onto the grid now. We've got to immediately start looking at the transition from the, the, the fuel combustion engine to the electric vehicle. Mm. Um, and I, 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 love, I love your motor show. Uh, and I, I, I've noted, by the way, that you're introducing electric vehicles slowly and steadily into the conversation. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to shout uh, that out for Petrolhead. Man, he was driving that Jaguar Petro yesterday. I was like, she costs a fortune, but man, that car is beautiful, hey? Yo, yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Chippy, yeah. your first guest, Salim Fakir, uh, Executive yes. Director of the African Climate Foundation. I mean, I've been, been on the website and I spent quite a bit of time having a look there. It's a fantastic website. Um, why have you chosen Salim? So, so Salim is incredibly understated, uh, but uh, and he's you know he's one of the last people to blow his own trumpet, so I'm going to have to blow it for him. Uh, he is one of our longest-serving environmental champions. I mean, I met him when he was the head of the World Conservation Union (IUCN) in South Africa. Um, uh, he then went on to the World Wildlife Fund, WWF, mm. in South Africa and ran their climate program for many years. Sure. Um, and, then, and then he's embarked on this new initiative called the African Climate Foundation, yeah. and they're supporting climate transitions in countries right across Africa. Hmm. So again, I thought, you know, in honor of the African COP next year and Salim's work on the African wow. continent, yeah. uh, he's the guy. Uh, uh, and we should get him to talk a little bit about his work. Um, I'll try and think of an embarrassing question to ask him as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Salim, you know, like it's amazing when people like you, they just want to, they want to embarrass you. Isn't that just the weirdest thing? <laughs> Hello, Salim. It's very weird. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. Hi. Uh, I'm that Crispin is already embarrassing me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Salim, I'm going to jump in um, and then we'll hand over to your, your, your compadre colleague who's going to <laughs> embarrass you further by the sounds of things. But you know, when Chippy talks about uh, the involvement of the entire African continent, um, mm. I'm interested to understand, do you see the African Union and particularly the 2063 uh, plans as really focusing on climate change? Is it is it top of that list? Uh, I think um, the elements of that embedded in the 2063 
63 agenda, mm. uh, it's a question of making them real. And I, I think the, the, the role of the African Climate Foundation is really uh, to move away from a very narrow a discussion that this is uh, sort of a just an environmental issue. Mm. We have to really find ways to make this of economic importance. And I think that opportunity is really huge on the continent because we haven't modernized our energy sectors as much as we would have liked. In mm. fact, there are about 600 million people without proper affordable energy. We are urbanizing rapidly. So we have a way to electrify that doesn't have to go the old route like South Africa did with coal and we don't have to necessarily rely on gas and oil, which will become uh, serious issues in the long term because they, as uh, the rest of the world decarbonize, um, oil and gas economies are going to really face a challenge like all this, uh, uh, is, 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 as is the case with coal in South Africa at the moment and globally. So we have an opportunity to really uh, do something really radically different. And that's what we are interested in as a, as a foundation. We really want to move away from what I would say capture by environmentalists of just an issue that is seen as an environmental issue to a more, we think of it as more a broader economic. economic issue. And in fact, the presidential commission is also taking us on that route. I have to embarrass uh, Crispin because I think the, the way he has moved things in the last uh, five months is just remarkable. Uh, and I'm always impressed with the, the way he, he has managed to grasp the issue so so rapidly, he and his team. So it's wonderful to actually work with Crispin. And I think uh, what Crispin is doing is what we want to do on the rest of the continent. And I've always told him we need to replicate uh, sort of this presidential commission elsewhere. It's really hardwiring uh, these issues in the political process, which yeah. is what we are observing. And if we don't turn it into an economic issue... Uh, I don't think climate will be taken seriously anywhere on the continent. It's yeah. going to be somebody else's agenda. And that's really what we need to move away from. You know, I'm, I'm just just this idea of it being an economic issue is, is interesting because whilst, while I was listening mm. to uh, Crispian earlier, is I was thinking about, I mean, Chippy, how you were saying it's going to impact everyone. And I was starting to think about how it impacts architecture, how it impacts the way we build things. I mean, I, I recently mm. read or heard somewhere that cement is one of the the, the great, um, what's the term? It's one of the great heaters of the environment. Em, em, emitters, yeah, carbon emitters. So, so what does that then mean for how we start to build cities? Because people are coming to the city, so we have to rethink the building of a city, I'm assuming. Yeah, and uh, I mean... Be, no, can you no, 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 I thought the question was mine, but go for it, uh, you answer. Uh, I think Michelle was directing at you, but I was just climbing in. Um, you know, <laughs> we, need massive, we need massive infrastructure investment in order to be able to mm. build our water resources and adapt to climate mm. change. But all of that infrastructure, as you say, up until now, has been cement-based. So, you know, we pour cement in, into our cities um, it's one of the highest uh, emitting uh, functions within the economy, and it's going to be one of the hardest in order to abate. And I, I've been very interested in some of the experiments that are taking place. So there's a, a group at the CSR that's been experimenting with lower emission cement, and they've hmm. been taking the fly ash from 
You know all those coal coal mines in Mpumalanga? Yeah. They're huge mountains of fly ash that have been, uh, you know, cleared out once they've burnt the coal. And they're looking at ways of using that in a new sort of, it's not completely green, but it's greener cement mixture. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it does it does raise this idea of like, okay, if you're going to rethink the economy, uh, then I start to think, and I, and I will hand this to you, Salim, as earlier on in the show, we were talking about this idea of a post-GDP economy. Mm. Yes. Um, and there's some really, really interesting work that's come out and goes back as far as Stiglitz and that kind of thing. But it's really an interesting idea if you then say, well, let's look at a post-GDP economy in relation to climate change. Surely that's uh, a, a, a way to start engaging. So there has been lots of work on post-GDP, uh, except that these measures have not been incorporated into the national accounts as mm. they should be. Yeah. And uh, it's a good way to also move from this sort of very high consumptive uh, kind of approach in an extractive type of approach in the economy yeah. where we just extract and we don't incorporate what the technical word is, you know, the environmental cost, the externality cost of pollution and waste and so on. Uh, but that's only the one dimension. So whenever we're extracting, we're adding seemingly value to the economy, but we're also reducing value because we don't take into account, for example, the cost of carbon emissions, right? So that's also reducing the value of um, of, a, of a natural asset, which is really what we should be accounting for. And that is actually an intergenerational issue. So in, in other words, we're leaving a debt uh, to future generations because we've consumed it in the present, and we've sort of damaged the environment in the present, and the cost of that is going to be left for somebody else. And in, generally, in the developing countries, also poorer people. Yeah. So that's the one thing we've got to solve. But I think the post-GDP thing also takes into account unaccounted for labor. For example, uh, uh, women work at home, and they're not compensated for that. Uh, yes. People who take care of elderly people, uh, they're not compensated or accounted for in the economy. But they are valuable to the economy. So this post-GDP thing is something, you know, I, I think that Crispin should champion this uh, because the PCC has an opportunity to do that. There's been a lot of technical work. It's no more now a technical issue. In fact, uh, our Minister of Trade and Industry, uh, Ibrahim Patel, was very interested in this issue uh, a couple of years back. So, you know, uh, Crispin, we should look at reviving this because I think it's a very important yeah. measure of general welfare, not just a very narrow yeah. Uh, sort of capitalistic, uh, as, uh, you know, value of the economy, which is largely extractive and will give back uh, to the environment or uh, generally create other types of value to society. So, can I hold you, gentlemen, to yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we 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 have put our foot into the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Salima, we're going to have to put you on uh, uh, close there because I see time runs out and it always runs out. And Chippy has made the second choice of guest, someone who I um, uh, uh, know well and love her work. Pam Yako is Managing Director of Zinande Leadership Consultancy. Um, Chippy, Pam's your uh, big China. <laughs> she's she 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 is a true inspiration so yeah. you know pam, pam has achieved so much in her life uh i met her when she was running 
a district municipality in the Eastern Cape called the Amatola District Municipality. Yes. Uh, before that, she was a land activist. What you probably might not know about her is that she wrote her matric on the run. You know, she she uh, had to study in senior school uh, and write matric while she was dodging the security police and running from safe house to safe house. She is the most incredible woman. She, I, you know, I find her completely inspirational and uh, it's great to have her on the show. Pam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I was just listening uh, to you guys, enjoying yourself on these issues this morning. So, Pam, I, that's something I didn't know about you, and I have to say uh, that's, that's an extraordinary story. Well, thank you. It I, is, I mean, it's part of our past, and, and we all had to go through that. And, uh, and I think it, for me, uh, shaped who I am today, some of my younger experiences that I had as a black woman in South Africa. So I want to put a question to both of you, and I'll put it to you, um, Pam, first. But Chippy, if you could chip in afterwards, that would be great. Um, you know, Pam, you, you do a lot of work around, um, at the moment, currently, you are a qualified coach. You work in leadership and change making. And I, I, I was, you know, one of our guests earlier on the show was talking about uh, mental health and wellness. And I wonder if, given the space that we're seeing, the anxiety that we're seeing around climate change, the huge challenges, whether the relationship between mental health and climate change is something that we may see more and more uh, engagement as we move with on the future. Pam. Yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, I think issues of mental health, uh, I mean, are very important in terms of when we approach um, some of these questions that uh, that uh, besiege society, and 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 I think unless we take it seriously and do something about it, and uh, something else that for me I always look at things I always look at things from a gender lens, mm. okay, and the and in the state and the rate at which women get bent out, uh, bent out in trying to just hold society together and families together. And I, I was in this, I was listening interestingly on this climate change discussion that you were having earlier on. That I thought, you know, women. I mean, just talk about South Africa. Mm. In South Africa, there's like we 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 are kind of 51 percent almost of the population, and and we're gonna be impacted in many ways than 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 men. And and I'm not saying men won't be. Um, by climate change and therefore what are we doing for women in particular and and also given the fact that they bear the brunt of some of these yeah. uh, difficulties in life yeah you know chippy salim also mentioned that earlier around women what yeah. would your take be on that uh, discussion so I gender think... issues <laughs> oh sorry carry on sorry Pam, go ahead I think she go was ahead, asking me uh, yes, yes, you know, yes. Uh, uh, gender has not been given the kind of focus that it needs to be in the climate debate because women are, I mean, if, if you look at the spectrum of who, who's most vulnerable, the middle class are going to be able to adapt 
they have the resources to be able to, you know, move if they have to put the infrastructure in place if they need to. They've got incomes. It's the people that are poor and that are shut out of the economy, uh, um, uh, and particularly women and young people that are going to bear the brunt of the climate transition. Um, And I think it's been given far too little attention. We've also not given enough attention to health issues. Um, uh, And it's not just the immediate health impacts of heat waves and drought and uh, challenges to your food security. Yeah, it's um, and also, you know, the long term psychological debilitation Mm -hmm. of you know, what seems like an intractable problem that's very hard for any one individual to fix. You know, these global long-term systemic changes have a very profound impact on people's mental health. Yeah. Okay, we, guys, we have like four minutes and this is how it works, is that suddenly the time just seems to sprint away from us. And I want to finish with oh. something that's going to lift us up. So, Pam, I'm going to start with you. If we look towards the future and the kinds of conversations we've had in the last hour, what do you see us having to focus on? I mean, most importantly right now, would it be mental health? Would it be a kind of personal engagement with the world? Would it be community? What do you see it as being? I, I mean, I think I think um, for me, it's issues of how do, how do people cope with an extremely I mean, with an extremely challenging world. I think mental health is a big issue, and I think the more a society made it kind of it, it's no longer it's not taboo. It's a reality. It's a health situation, and I think we need to start focusing on that, especially if having people to cope with impact of climate change, you've mentioned the pandemic, and just the day-to-day economic hardships. So we're going to mm. have to deal with the issue of mental health. I would vote for mental health. You're putting your, your, you're putting your money on mental health. Kippy, what are you... Uh, I'm putting my money on mental health, yeah. Chippy, what are you putting your money on? We've got to seize the day. <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 rem- <clears throat> the remarkable thing is that we largely have the technologies available now to enable us to transition. Mm. Uh, The question is how we use those technologies in ways that achieve our broader development objectives as well and grow our economy. And I think South Africa has a unique opportunity. I think we can transition to a zero carbon world in ways that boost our economy um, and bring prosperity to our people. And it requires action now, not looking backwards. We need to look forwards and we need to do. Are we going to see our Minister of Environment uh, shouting that out at uh, COP26 this year? She's she's a tireless champion of these Mm. issues. I know she's going to COP with a big team. She's Uh, leading negotiations on a financing package that I'm hoping she's going to bring back to South Africa. She's got to bring back the bacon. Uh, I know it's very tense negotiations, um, but uh, we wish her all the best um, and Godspeed. Perhaps we won't say bring back the bacon, seeing as we're talking about climate crisis. We should rather say bring back the vegetables. (laughs) Bring back the veggies. (laughs) Pam Yako. 
Dr. Chippy Olver, thank you so much for joining us. It really was a fascinating thank conversation. You, That's thank it you. from us. 10 o'clock. We're already out of here. Time flies, even when you're having fun. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.